Chapter Nine of De Sophisticus Elenchus by Aristotle, translated by W. A. Pickard, Cambridge. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Geoffrey Edwards. Chapter Nine. The number of considerations on which depend the refutations of those who are refuted we ought not to try to grasp without a knowledge of everything that is this however is not the province of any special study for possibly the sciences are infinite in number so that obviously demonstrations may be infinite too now refutations may be true as well as false for whenever it is possible to demonstrate something it is also possible to refute the man who maintains the contradictory of the truth e g if a man has stated that the diagonal is commensurate with the side of the square one might refute him by demonstrating that it is incommensurate accordingly to exhaust all possible refutations we shall have to have scientific knowledge of everything for some refutations depend upon the principles that rule in geometry and the conclusions that follow from these others upon those that rule in medicine and others upon those of the other sciences for the matter of that the false refutations likewise belong to the number of the infinite for according to every art there is false proof e g according to geometry there is false geometrical proof and according to medicine there is false medical proof by quote, according to the art close quote, i mean quote, according to the principles of it close quote. clearly then it is not of all refutations but only of those that depend upon dialectic that we need to grasp the commonplace rules for these stand in a common relation to every art and faculty and as regards the refutation that is according to one or other of the particular sciences it is the task of that particular scientist to examine whether it is merely apparent without being real and if it be real what is the reason for it whereas it is the business of dialecticians so to examine the refutation that proceeds from the common first principles that fall under no particular special study for if we grasp the starting points of the accepted proofs on any subject whatever we grasp those of the refutations current on that subject for a refutation is the proof of the contradictory of a given thesis so that either one or two proofs of the contradictory constitute a refutation we grasp then the number of considerations on which all such depend if however we grasp this we also grasp their solutions as well for the objections to these are the solutions of them we also grasp the number of considerations on which those refutations depend that are merely apparent apparent i mean not to everybody but to people of a certain stamp for it is an indefinite task if one is to inquire how many are the considerations that make them apparent to the man in the street accordingly it is clear that the dialectician's business is to be able to grasp on how many considerations depends the formation through the common first principles of a refutation that is either real or apparent i e either dialectical or apparently dialectical or suitable for an examination chapter ten 
it is no true distinction between arguments which some people draw when they say that some arguments are directed against the expression and others against the thought expressed for it is absurd to suppose that some arguments are directed against the expression and others against the thought and that they are not the same for what is failure to direct an argument against the thought except what occurs whenever a man does not in using the expression think it to be used in his question in the same sense in which the person questioned granted it and this is the same thing as to direct the argument against the expression on the other hand it is directed against the thought whenever a man uses the expression in the same sense which the answerer had in mind when he granted it if now any one i e both the questioner and the person questioned in dealing with an expression with more than one meaning were to suppose it to have one meaning as e g it may be that quotes, being and quotes, one have many meanings and yet both the answerer answers and the questioner puts his question supposing it to be one and the argument is to the effect that quote, all things are one close quote will this discussion be directed any more against the expression than against the thought of the person questioned if on the other hand one of them supposes the expression to have many meanings it is clear that such a discussion will not be directed against the thought such being the meanings of the phrases in question they clearly cannot describe two separate classes of argument for in the first place it is possible for any such argument as bears more than one meaning to be directed against the expression and against the thought and next it is possible for any argument whatsoever for the fact of being directed against the thought consists not in the nature of the argument but in the special attitude of the answerer towards the points he concedes next all of them may be directed to the expression for quote, to be directed against the expression close quote, means in this doctrine quote, not to be directed against the thought close quote. for if not all are directed against either expression or thought there will be certain other arguments directed neither against the expression nor against the thought whereas they say that all must be one or the other and divide them all as directed either against the expression or against the thought while others they say there are none but in point of fact those that depend on mere expression are only a branch of those syllogisms that depend on a multiplicity of meanings for the absurd statement has actually been made that the description quote, dependent on mere expression close quote, describes all the arguments that depend on language whereas some of these are fallacies not because the answerer adopts a particular attitude towards them but because the argument itself involves the asking of a question such as bears more than one meaning it is too altogether absurd to discuss refutation without first discussing proof for a refutation is a proof so that one ought to discuss proof as well before describing false refutation for a refutation of that kind is a merely apparent proof of the contradictory of a thesis accordingly the reason of the falsity will be either in the proof or in the contradiction for mention of the quotes, contradiction must be added while sometimes it is in both if the refutation be merely apparent in the argument that speaking of the silent is possible it lies in the contradiction not in the proof 
in the argument that one can give what one does not possess it lies in both in the proof that homer's poem is a figure through its being a cycle it lies in the proof an argument that does not fail in either respect is a true proof but to return to the point whence our argument digressed are mathematical reasonings directed against the thought or not and if any one thinks quotes triangle to be a word with many meanings and granted it in some different sense from the figure which was proved to contain two right angles has the questioner here directed his argument against the thought of the former or not moreover if the expression bears many senses while the answerer does not understand or suppose it to have them surely the questioner here has directed his argument against his thought or how else ought he to put his question except by suggesting a distinction suppose one's question to be quote, is speaking of the silent possible or not close quote, as follows quote, is the answer quotes, no in one sense but quotes, yes in another close quote. if then any one were to answer that it was not possible in any sense and the other were to argue that it was has not his argument been directed against the thought of the answerer yet his argument is supposed to be one of those that depend on the expression there is not then any definite kind of arguments that is directed against the thought some arguments are indeed directed against the expression but these are not all even apparent refutations let alone all refutations for there are also apparent refutations which do not depend upon language e g those that depend upon accident and others if however any one claims that one should actually draw the distinction and say quote, by quote, speaking of the silent close quote, i mean in one sense this and in the other sense that close quote, surely to claim this is in the first place absurd for sometimes the questioner does not see the ambiguity of his question and he cannot possibly draw a distinction which he does not think to be there in the second place what else but this will didactic argument be for it will make manifest the state of the case to one who has never considered and does not know or suppose that there is any other meaning but one for what is there to prevent the same thing also happening to us in cases where there is no double meaning quote, are the units in four equal to the twos observe that the twos are contained in four in one sense in this way in another sense in that also quote, is the knowledge of contraries one or not observe that some contraries are known while others are unknown thus the man who makes this claim seems to be unaware of the difference between didactic and dialectical argument and of the fact that while he who argues didactically should not ask questions but make things clear himself the other should merely ask questions chapter eleven moreover to claim a quotes, yes or quotes, no answer is the business not of a man who is showing something but of one who is holding an examination for the art of examining is a branch of dialectic and has in view not the man who has knowledge but the ignorant pretender 
he then is a dialectician who regards the common principles with their application to the particular matter in hand while he who only appears to do this is a sophist now for contentious and sophistical reasoning one one such is a merely apparent reasoning on subjects on which dialectical reasoning is the proper method of examination even though its conclusion be true for it misleads us in regard to the cause also two there are those misreasonings which do not conform to the line of inquiry proper to the particular subject but are generally thought to conform to the art in question for false diagrams of geometrical figures are not contentious for the resulting fallacies conform to the subject of the art any more than is any false diagram that may be offered in proof of a truth e g hippocrates figure or the squaring of the circle by means of the lunulas but bryson's method of squaring the circle even if the circle is thereby squared is still sophistical because it does not conform to the subject in hand so then any merely apparent reasoning about these things is a contentious argument and any reasoning that merely appears to conform to the subject in hand even though it be genuine reasoning is a contentious argument for it is merely apparent in its conformity to the subject matter so that it is deceptive and plays foul for just as a foul in a race is a definite type of fault and is a kind of foul fighting so the art of contentious reasoning is foul fighting in disputation for in the former case those who are resolved to win at all costs snatch at everything and so in the latter case do contentious reasoners those then who do this in order to win the mere victory are generally considered to be contentious and quarrelsome persons while those who do it to win a reputation with a view to making money are sophistical for the art of sophistry is as we said a kind of art of money-making from a merely apparent wisdom and this is why they aim at a merely apparent demonstration and quarrelsome persons and sophists both employ the same arguments but not with the same motives and the same argument will be sophistical and contentious but not in the same respect rather it will be contentious in so far as its aim is an apparent victory while in so far as its aim is an apparent wisdom it will be sophistical for the art of sophistry is a certain appearance of wisdom without the reality the contentious argument stands in somewhat the same relation to the dialectical as the drawer of false diagrams to the geometrician for it beguiles by misreasoning from the same principles as dialectic uses just as the drawer of a false diagram beguiles the geometrician but whereas the latter is not a contentious reasoner because he bases his false diagram on the principles and conclusions that fall under the art of geometry the argument which is subordinate to the principles of dialectic will yet clearly be contentious as regards other subjects thus e g though the squaring of the circle by means of the lunulas is not contentious bryson's solution is contentious and the former argument cannot be adapted to any subject except geometry because it proceeds from principles that are peculiar to geometry whereas the latter can be adapted as an argument against all the number of people who do not know what is 
or is not possible in each particular context for it will apply to them all or there is the method whereby antiphon squared the circle or again an argument which denied that it was better to take a walk after dinner because of zeno's argument would not be a proper argument for a doctor because zeno's argument is of general application if then the relation of the contentious argument to the dialectical were exactly like that of the drawer of false diagrams to the geometrician a contentious argument upon the aforesaid subjects could not have existed but as it is the dialectical argument is not concerned with any definite kind of being nor does it show anything nor is it even an argument such as we find in the general philosophy of being for all beings are not contained in any one kind nor if they were could they possibly fall under the same principles accordingly no art that is a method of showing the nature of anything proceeds by asking questions for it does not permit a man to grant whichever he likes of the two alternatives in the question for they will not both of them yield a proof dialectic on the other hand does proceed by questioning whereas if it were concerned to show things it would have refrained from putting questions even if not about everything at least about the first principles and the special principles that apply to the particular subject in hand for suppose the answerer not to grant these it would then no longer have had any grounds from which to argue any longer against the objection dialectic is at the same time a mode of examination as well for neither is the art of examination an accomplishment of the same kind as geometry but one which a man may possess even though he has not knowledge for it is possible even for one without knowledge to hold an examination of one who is without knowledge if also the latter grants him points taken not from things that he knows or from the special principles of the subject under discussion but from all that range of consequences attaching to the subject which a man may indeed know without knowing the theory of the subject but which if he do not know he is bound to be ignorant of the theory so then clearly the art of examining does not consist in knowledge of any definite subject for this reason too it deals with everything for every quotes, theory of anything employs also certain common principles hence everybody including even amateurs makes use in a way of dialectic and the practice of examining for all undertake to some extent a rough trial of those who profess to know things what serves them here is the general principles for they know these of themselves just as well as the scientist even if in what they say they seem to the latter to go wildly astray from them all then are engaged in refutation for they take a hand as amateurs in the same task with which dialectic is concerned professionally and he is a dialectician who examines by the help of a theory of reasoning now there are many identical principles which are true of everything though they are not such as to constitute a particular nature i e a particular kind of being but are like negative terms while other principles are not of this kind but are special to particular subjects 
accordingly it is possible from these general principles to hold an examination on everything and that there should be a definite art of so doing and moreover an art which is not of the same kind as those which demonstrate this is why the contentious reasoner does not stand in the same condition in all respects as the drawer of a false diagram for the contentious reasoner will not be given to misreasoning from any definite class of principles but will deal with every class these then are the types of sophistical refutations and that it belongs to the dialectician to study these and to be able to effect them is not difficult to see for the investigation of premises comprises the whole of this study chapter twelve so much then for apparent refutations as for showing that the answerer is committing some fallacy and drawing his argument into paradox for this was the second item of the sophist's programme in the first place then this is best brought about by a certain manner of questioning and through the question for to put the question without framing it with reference to any definite subject is a good bait for these purposes for people are more inclined to make mistakes when they talk at large and they talk at large when they have no definite subject before them also the putting of several questions even though the position against which one is arguing be quite definite and the claim that he shall say only what he thinks create abundant opportunity for drawing him into paradox or fallacy and also whether to any of these questions he replies quotes, yes or replies quotes, no of leading him on to statements against which one is well off for a line of attack nowadays however men are less able to play foul by these means than they were formerly for people rejoin with the question quote, what has that to do with the original subject Close quote. it is too an elementary rule for eliciting some fallacy or paradox that one should never put a controversial question straight away but say that one puts it from the wish for information for the process of inquiry thus invited gives room for an attack a rule specially appropriate for showing up a fallacy is the sophistic rule that one should draw the answerer on to the kind of statements against which one is well supplied with arguments this can be done both properly and improperly as was said before again to draw a paradoxical statement look and see to what school of philosophers the person arguing with you belongs and then question him as to some point wherein their doctrine is paradoxical to most people for with every school there is some point of that kind it is an elementary rule in these matters to have a collection of the special quotes, theses of the various schools among your propositions the solution recommended as appropriate here too is to point out that the paradox does not come about because of the argument whereas this is what his opponent always really wants moreover argue from men's wishes and their professed opinions for people do not wish the same things as they say they wish they say what will look best whereas they wish what appears to be to their interest e g they say that a man ought to die nobly rather than to live in pleasure and to live in honest poverty rather than in dishonourable riches but they wish the opposite accordingly a man who speaks according to his wishes must be led into stating the professed opinions of people 
while he who speaks according to these must be led into admitting those that people keep hidden away for in either case they are bound to introduce a paradox for they will speak contrary either to men's professed or to their hidden opinions the widest range of commonplace argument for leading men into paradoxical statement is that which depends on the standards of nature and of the law it is so that both callicles is drawn as arguing in the gorgias and that all the men of old supposed the result to come about for nature they said and law are opposites and justice is a fine thing by a legal standard but not by that of nature accordingly they said the man whose statement agrees with the standard of nature you should meet by the standard of the law but the man who agrees with the law by leading him to the facts of nature for in both ways paradoxical statements may be committed in their view the standard of nature was the truth while that of the law was the opinion held by the majority so that it is clear that they too used to try either to refute the answerer or to make him make paradoxical statements just as the men of to-day do as well some questions are such that in both forms the answer is paradoxical e g quote, ought one to obey the wise or one's father close quote, and quote, ought one to do what is expedient or what is just close quote, and quote, is it preferable to suffer injustice or to do an injury close quote. you should lead people then into views opposite to the majority and to the philosophers if any one speaks as to the expert reasoners lead him into opposition to the majority while if he speaks as do the majority then into opposition to the reasoners for some say that of necessity the happy man is just whereas it is paradoxical to the many that a king should not be happy to lead a man into paradoxes of this sort is the same as to lead him into the opposition of the standards of nature and law for the law represents the opinion of the majority whereas philosophers speak according to the standard of nature and the truth end of chapter twelve recording in memory of mitchell edwards